We are going to be in Psalms, not chapter, Psalms 8. The 8th Psalm, if you guys would turn your Bibles there. And this is one of those parts of Scripture. I love, I love this psalm because this is one of the ones that when I go out hunting or go out camping in the summertime, it's one of those that I love to take with me. It's one of the ones that I like to dive into and just sit there on those mountaintops or those beautiful scene uh, and go through this part of Scripture because it really is just one of those ones that worships uh, God, especially in verse 3 where it says, I consider your heavens and the works of your fingers, you know, and just remembering who God is. And I think it brings a lot of perspective in. And that's what we're talking about this morning is the, the title of this would be A Godly Perspective. Um, it's really easy to have a worldly perspective, isn't it? Uh, we can go through and we get caught up in the things of this world. We get caught up into uh, the thoughts, uh, the distractions, the hurts, the pains, and it can really take us off into a bad place. And I think that this year would be a great example of one of those years that maybe that's what's happened to us, you know, and maybe we have gone off a little bit and lost perspective, at least that godly perspective. And I think these are those scriptures God gives us to help us come back and remember who he is. And because we remember who he is, everything lines back up as it should be, that that hope returns, right? That excitement, that joy, that all that stuff that he promises us, and we know we can take hold of that and remembering who our God is, that he has not removed himself from us, he's not become small, that he is a big God. Perspective is an awesome thing to have in life, and I'm going to give you guys a freebie, especially you men this morning. Perspective can change everything, right? Let's take a marriage, for example, okay? You make your wife mad, and this is for you guys that are not married yet either. This, this will help your whole first year of marriage, right? Guaranteed. <laughs> you make your wife upset. She's hurt. What came out of your mouth was not supposed to hurt her. It was just to speak truth or to describe something, right? You had no intent of hurting her. But guess what? Your wife is hurt and she's mad and you're paying for it. Here's perspective. My perspective as being the man would be like, it's your own fault you're sad. I didn't mean to say that. <laughs> you're going to have to get over it, right? That's, that's the pride of man, I think. The perspective that we should have, and we can turn over this, is that, you know what? The words that came out of my mouth hurt my wife. So I have to say sorry. No matter what they were intended for, it still hurt her. And so I am responsible because it came out of my mouth, so I need to say sorry for what I said. There's your freebie for the day, guys. Your marriage will be so much better now. <laughs> but if you change perspective on something, it changes everything, doesn't it? If we can look from a different view... And understand it, we can really take hold and we can succeed in what we're trying to succeed in or to have hope or, or to be encouraged in it. And so as we go through this morning, we're going to see what David does. Now, you guys know going through the Psalms, David has so many Psalms that he talks about his enemies, right? And, and he wants to be encouraged by God. He wants to know the, who is in charge. Even the Psalm that we went through last week was deliverance from the enemies. The one we get to go through next week is God's judgment on the enemies. And so enemies was a huge thing theme in David's life, and he tells us, and he goes through so many ways of, of calling out to God for that. But then he comes to this one psalm here in, in Psalm 8, and he just, he sets it all aside, and he goes back and he focuses back on God. Another character in the Bible that you guys can go and look at is Jeremiah. Um, go read Lamentations. Lamentations is a book of sorrows, right? And he's, he's sad about what happened to Jerusalem. He proclaimed for 40 years, you guys, you're going to go into captivity. It's going to be ugly. You're going to have to eat dirt. It's going to be a disaster. Please repent and turn back to your God. They didn't do it. And he suffered through the same things that they suffered through. Lamentations 3, if you guys go through that, the whole first part up to, I think, verse 20, he focuses on self. And his depression becomes overwhelming. 
his anxiety, his self-focus is just overwhelming because he's just me, my, and I. You guys can read through it. I think it's over 25 times that he says that phrase, me, my, or I. And then right in the middle of it, he stops and he says, but then I remembered. And he came back to where he says, my Lord is my portion. And then the whole rest of the chapter, he focuses on who God is, his character, his mercies, and he completely comes out of that. And so I want to encourage you guys, if you guys have gone through hard times this, this year, and I'm sorry to say, guys, not saying that 2021 is going to be a bad year, but we know from the scriptures it does get tougher. It does. As Jesus' time draws near, it is going to get harder. And it could even get harder for the church. That's what it says. We're going to have persecution. And so life might not get better. Don't look forward to like, oh, this is a change in the dates, and now my whole life's going to get better this year. We can't count on that. We can't count on anything in this world. And that's having that worldly perspective. You're going to lose hope if that's where you're counting on it, you know, and especially all these things that we're going to do, these formulas we're going to set up for ourselves, this weight program I'm going to go on, this thing I'm going to do. Well, if you fail that, then what happens to your emotions after that, right? You crash. And so our focus has to be on him. And that's where Jeremiah went. That's where so many people in the scriptures went back to is the Lord. And even the Lord sometimes had to intervene and tell them, hey, get right perspective again. Elijah, right? Just did amazing miracle on top of the mountain with all those other prophets of Baal. Has God call, he calls fire down from God. Lights the whole altar, consumes the whole thing, does an awesome work, right? If you don't know the story, go check it out. Beautiful story. But then he goes and he gets afraid because this lady, the queen, starts wanting to chase after and kill him, and he goes and hides in a cave and gets all depressed and says, I'm the only one that's left for you, God. And God comes along and says, whatever. There's like 7,000 other people that are, are worshiping me and uh, brings him back into perspective. And so and David does the same thing here. He comes into perspective. He refocuses on who God is, and it's such a key uh, psalm for us to take hold of, especially as we go into these next, this next year. So, Psalms 8. What did David do when he turned in his times of trouble? And so we're going to read through this, and then I'm going to point out four different ways that David focused on God and that helped to put his mind in right perspective, to give him that godly perspective. And so let's go ahead and read uh, Psalm 8. And it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. You have made him to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. And Lord, as we come to you this morning and we just want to study through your scriptures, we're thankful for the encouragement you bring, especially as we go through hard times, as we, we lose different things in our lives, Lord, whether it's people, jobs, uh, finances, security, uh, whatever it is, Lord, that we know we can turn back to you. We know David went through some very hard times in his life, and yet he's able to write scriptures like this that completely refocus and have that perspective on you. And it's, it's an awesome blessing for us, Lord. So I pray that you would use me this morning, that you teach through me, and that, um, Lord, you would be glorified. It would be an exciting thing that we would leave this place just glorifying and praising your name like it should be done. And that our focus as we come against trials and hard times, Lord, that we would just be encouraged by you and have that joy um, and that grace for others, just like Paul and Silas had in that prison cell, Lord. What an awesome thing that you did through those men. I know you 
do the same thing through us. It's the same spirit. And so we just pray that you do that. Do a work in us, Lord, and we look forward to just what you have to speak to us this morning. And uh, we just pray these things in your name. Amen. All right. So what does David focus on in this short psalm to put his mind in the right perspective? Four things that I saw. I see that he goes to God's name. The first one is he goes to God's name, which that's an interesting one. Why would you go to somebody's name? We'll get into that. Then he goes to God's strength, which that's usually a place we'll talk about, you know, God's strength. He'll get you through things, you know, in our weakness, he shows himself strong. Then we look at God's work. And then the last one is what is God's plan? And these are going to help us, and I would encourage you guys, anytime you're losing perspective, go back and look at these things. Look at his name, his strength, the work that he has, and then the plan that he has for us. So the first one, God's name. In that very first verse there, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. What is in a name? Our name's important. I mean, they are. You identify other people by it, right? I mean, if you guys in high school, junior high, could you guys name the bully? They're a pretty significant person in your life, you know, and you're like, that name comes up, automatically you think of that person. My high school, it was Curtis. They <laughs> I was a jerk. <laughs> Still to this day, when I meet people, they're like, wow, you're so much nicer. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> Back in my day, we didn't really, the bully wasn't a big term like it is now, but. <laughs> um, names are super important, aren't they? In ancient times, they're they're even more so. I think I, you know when we name our kids nowadays, like our kids, we named them. We like the three letters, and so that's kind of what we went through. So other people go through with the, the initial, or, or you know what what are different little clever things that you can name your kids by. And there are some people that choose the names because that's what they feel like their circumstance that they're going through was, or that's what they feel that the the child is going to, or they would like it to identify with, and. So there are that, but back in that culture, back in the ancient culture, it was very key in the words that they, or the names they would give the children. And they would even wait sometimes a week, two weeks before they would give the child a name just to see, you know, the circumstances around it. And in the scriptures, you see the names, they held power, responsibility, purpose, and authority with them. We even see in the scriptures that constantly there are people's names that are being changed, right, because of the circumstances or because the person changed, um, and this would happen a lot. Now, I know some of the kids in the Old Testament, they were probably happy that their name changed because it was pretty depressing what their parents named them. You know, like thorn in the flesh, get over here. <laughs> or brat, you know, I think there's just some of them. That, the names that you saw, I, there was some of them, I, I wish I would have went back and got, grabbed some of them for you, but you're like, holy cow, that had to been horrible for that kid growing up like that. Like people didn't even have to make fun of them. They didn't just call them their name. <laughs> it was a pretty sad deal. Some of these examples um, of name changes in the Bible, we know Abram, right? Abraham had his name, his name was Abram, which meant exalted father. Then the Lord changed his name to Abraham, which meant father of the multitude. Jacob, Jacob was called heel snatcher or also stood for deceiver. And later the Lord, after he'd wrestled with the Lord, um, he went away and his name became Israel, one uh, who prevails, right? And then uh, Hosea's son and daughter. Now, these are some of the more sad names that I think. Uh, Hosea, he was a prophet in the Old Testament, and the Lord used his kids' names to represent what was going on with Israel. So, Loami was, um, I can't remember if it was a son or daughter, but their name meant not my people. Sad name to have, right? But later on, God asked uh, him to change the name to Ami, which meant my people. And also, his other child was uh, Lo Ruhumamah, uh, which was not pitied. Okay, God didn't pity them because they're turning against him. And then later on, the nation turns and they, uh, takes off the low part and becomes Ruhamah, 
which is one who shows compassion. So we see these names change. You guys know a very famous one that we know and we're, we're familiar with in the Bible is uh, uh, when the Lord changed Simon's name to Cephas, right, or Peter. Um, and that whole change, meaning rock. And so it's pretty neat that the Lord will change up people's names and when they go. Now, I know there's some people that wish that that would happen nowadays. They don't really like their name and they want to change their name to something else. So I just hope they get a good meeting. Go over to uh, John 17. Because there's an important part in the scriptures in the New Testament where Jesus Christ shows us the importance of God's name, God the Father. So in chapter 17 of John, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this chapter. This is where Jesus is praying um, for himself. He prays for his disciples. He even prays for us as future disciples, future believers. It's an awesome part of scripture to see what the Lord would pray for, uh, for us. But as he's going through and he's praying for all believers, he comes to the very last part, verse 26, and it says, And I have declared to them your name and will declare it that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. And so Jesus is showing here that he's proclaiming the name of the Father. That's one of his main things he was supposed to, he was declaring it. And the declaring of God's name, what followed with that is the love of God. Like that was important. That was the significance of there. He was showing God's love and he ultimately showed it on the cross, didn't he? That was his ultimate way of proclaiming God's name, the Lord's name. And so it's so important in Scripture when you see it. You guys know that with just Jesus' name, demons flee. There's power in that name. We just sang about it. I mean, Debbie did a great selection of songs this morning. It was spot on. You're singing it about Yahweh, which we'll get into that in just a second. But God's name is powerful. It's much more than just, a, hey, I know this guy named Yahweh. You know, or, or It's so much more than that because it shows that power that, that, that comes behind it and uh, that significance of it. So... When God reveals his name, we know this back in Exodus, if you guys want to turn over there too, we are going to be skipping around a little bit. Exodus chapter 3 is the first place that we have God give his name to man. Now you might say, well, all in the first scriptures and, and it's all in there, it talks about God and it says Lord and we see it, but you have to remember Moses is the one that wrote the first five books and this is where Moses is meeting with God at the burning bush and God asks him to go and set the people free, Right? So in verse 13 of chapter 3 of Exodus, it says, Then Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? See, it was important back then because all the gods had names, right? So they want to know which God is this. Right? We got to know his name. We got to know that this is not just some false thing that's coming to get us out of here. Like, what's the credit behind it? We want to know his name. And so... God answers Moses in verse 14, and he says, And God said to Moses, I am who I am. Powerful, isn't it? And he said, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am has sent me to you. In verse 15, Moreover, God said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the children of Israel, The Lord, notice that that's all capital, or I, I hope it is in your Bible, because I'm going to talk about that, but it should be L-O-R-I-D, should all be capital letters. The Lord God um, of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial to all generations. It was important what God had given him, this name, I am. And then when it says, Lord, what that is, is that is Yahweh. Anytime in your Bible, in the English Bible, that you guys see that there's capital letters for Lord, it is Yahweh. Or what happened in... Uh, um, 
about, oh, I can't remember when, it, the Renaissance times, they changed it to Jehovah. That was the Latin word for it. So you've heard Jehovah before. It's the same as Yahweh. Same word, um, except for the ones Hebrew and the others kind of changed into Latin. And nowadays, um, modern scholars are going back to using Yahweh rather than Jehovah. So just a little information on there, but it's key on what that name is. If you guys turn back over to Psalm 8, look at how David starts out this whole psalm here, this song. He says, O Lord, our Lord. So what is he saying there? He's saying Yahweh. Well, Yahweh, it was so significant on what Yahweh is. Yahweh is covenant God, okay? It's God that has made covenant with man. He's made a covenant with us. The new covenant we have through Jesus Christ is the covenant of grace, right? Back then it was the law. It was the promise of the grace to come, of Jesus Christ to come. And so when it says, oh Lord, the covenant God, he's making it very personal. And he says, our Lord, which when he says our Lord, it means master. So he's basically saying here, he says, our covenant God, our master, is what he's identifying with. Now, why I went into all that, you're kind of like, okay, that's kind of boring, or maybe you're not, maybe that's interesting. But the key I want you guys to get out of this is it's so interesting because the rest of this part of scripture is talking about the creation and how we're over the creation. Yet he uses Yahweh. He uses the covenant God name rather than Elohim. Elohim, when you see in the Bible, it says God. That's using the word Elohim, which Elohim usually signifies the creator God. Now you can go back to Genesis, and Elohim is used over and over in the first part of Genesis. So it's very interesting that he didn't use Elohim here when he's about to go and talk about creation. Rather, he uses the covenant God because he wants to, us to understand and have the right perspective that this is a personal God. This is not just somebody that's out there that's just proclaiming these things or some deity that's from some foreign nation or some deity that's been robbed from another foreign nation or anything like that, that he is this personal God. And not only is he a personal God, but he's your master. He's your Lord. He's the one you answer to. And so moving on with that in mind, he starts going into the next statement and he says this. He says, your name is, or excellent is your name in all the earth. He doesn't stop with Israel and say, hey, your name is excellent with just Israel, but he goes on and says, in all of the earth. God is for all the earth, all nations. He is not just a Jewish God or just a Christian God. God is the God, isn't he? Over all. And that's what he's making the significance of, is that he is excellent and his name is excellent over the whole earth. And then David doesn't stop there, because then he goes on, and he may have been on his balcony out under the stars, or, or actually this is probably before he had his balcony. This is probably out in the cave, and he's up on top, maybe looking around. But then he says, who have set your glory above the heavens? Uh, he goes even further. God's name, his glory goes beyond the heavens. And in just a little bit, well, I'm going to have a really cheesy video for you guys to show how big the heavens are. But that is like, it's amazing. His glory is way above the heavens. We're so small compared to that. Like, there's no name on this earth that can even come close to where his name is and to that glory that he has. Excellent is your name on all the earth, and it's even passes in the heavens. To have glory beyond the heavens is to say that God is beyond the heavens or outside of them. That's how great he is. That's why David said that. Because his glory is not just held here on this earth. It's not just held in this church because we say he has glory right? You guys know the scriptures. He says if he needs to, he's going to have rocks cry out for him. If man wants to keep his mouth shut about how awesome he is, his own creation, a rock, the dumbest thing you could think of is going to cry out and glory him, right? Isn't that, I mean, God is so good. So then with our perspective, so when we observe God's name in its fullness, 
our perspective will shift from a finite thought to infinite when we focus on God, Yahweh, that covenant God, right? Like you get off the finite, just this little thing, these means here, these things that we have, these little problems that we have, and you get focused on the infinite. It's like he's got it. His name is powerful. He's worthy. Absolutely, we can get through this. This is going to be all right because he's the one that's absolutely in control, which moves on to the next one, which would be his strength. Now, this verse is interesting, and we'll get into it. Let's go ahead and read it first, verse 2. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. This one makes no sense at all if you're looking at it from man's point of view. Because why in the world would you want to use nursing infants to show how strong you are? Right? I mean, what does man usually do to show how strong they are? I'm strong as a rhino or a bull or a cow, or probably not a cow, nobody says that. An elephant, you know, like we look for something that's already been created and we look at that and say, yeah, that's the biggest, baddest thing I can think of. Us with our, you know, guys, usually it's like, I'm going to go get a truck, a big truck. It's going to be a diesel. That's how powerful I am. <laughs> if it's a Chevy, you missed out, but <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, I hurt some feelings there. We look for something that we can identify ourselves with to show how strong we are, right? And God, master of the universe, more powerful than we could ever comprehend, uses a nursing infant to say that that's how powerful he is. Why? Why would he go to something like that? It's so interesting that he doesn't do it our way, does he? I would never think of that. I would never think, yes, see this ladybug. That's how strong I am, (laughs) right? It's foolish, right? But here's the thing with God. If you guys turn over to Isaiah 55, this is an awesome passage of Scripture, and I'm sure you guys already know this one. You've probably heard it, maybe just didn't know the address on it, but Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God is speaking here through Isaiah, and he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. And he doesn't stop there. He says, this is how different they are. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Who do we think we are when we can go and question God on why he's doing it a certain way? Or why have you allowed this to happen? Or why is it this way? Or why or what? or Guys, we can't even comprehend why he's doing it. He just said that. He said his ways and his thoughts are so much Further, so distance from the way that we would do it, from the thoughts that we would have. We read the Old Testament, we go through some stuff, and it's hard. Some of these things that he talks about and God did in the Old Testament, we're like, wow, it's really hard to take. You know, I almost look at God as he didn't have any morals and what he did to that nation. Some people do that. Critics of the Bible, they can't, you know, they always take you back to that scripture where he talks about God telling people to go and, and destroy the children as well in the nation. And people are like, yeah, see, I have better morals than that. I would never go and destroy children in a nation. However, they have no idea the thoughts and the ways of God. They're so far beyond it. You can't even question. Now, if you guys want to talk afterwards, there's great explanation for those things if you're still caught up on those kind of things. But his ways are so much further. And so that's why in Psalms 8, he goes and he talks about that his strength. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you overdain strength. It's like this fortress is built out of a nursing infant. Now, if you want to show strength, you would take something weak and you would bring strength out of that. That's strong. That's true strength. Going and identifying with something that's already strong and saying, yeah, we're equal or I'm like that or whatever, 
what, what's the strength in that? The strength is when you can take something weak and you can make it strong. That's what he does. He, come, he uses the mouths of bays and nursing infants. And I don't know if you've been around them. They scream a lot and make no sense, right? But he uses them to proclaim his glory, the praise from the infants. He makes them, the, like it says, you're redeeming strength from something that was weak. How encouraging is that for us, right? Over in 1 Corinthians, if you guys aren't already thinking about this scripture as we go through this, if you guys want to turn over there, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. kind of talks about what God's doing, why he does this, and it, he even makes it very personal. As Paul goes on to write to the Corinthians as he's, church, he's encouraging the church there in Corinth, he says in verse 26 of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26, he says, For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, not many noble are called. He gets right into it, and he's saying, God was not looking for the most brilliant, the most religious, the one that had all their act together. He says, not many of you guys were even that way. Basically, a lot of you guys were just fools and messed up and had problems, and yet God called you. God called you. Why? Because you're a nursing infant, and he wants to show himself strong through you. The problems that you have in life, the things that you guys have tried to overcome, God will use them to show his strength. It even talks about the Paul goes through that, right? When he's talking about the, the thorn in the flesh and he says, I cried out three times that you take it away from me and you didn't. Why? Because in your weakness, he shows himself strong. You would not know the strength of God without weakness. How personal is that? God desires you to know more of his character and so you're allowed to go through some of that stuff because he wants to know you and he wants you to know him even more. Right? Isn't that awesome? And so the next verse, verse 27, it says, but God, here's the reason behind that, why he chooses those people that are not mighty, noble, and you know, awesome or wise. He says, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. Guys, how many of you have been despised? <laughs> right? And he's chosen us. And the things which are not to bring to nothing and the things that are. Like God, it just sets it all right. Through his power, not because you guys did anything or not because I've done anything, but that's the way he wants to work. Because he loves to mess with the wise. I mean, go through and look at all the gospels. When he goes and he messes with the Pharisees all the time, the people that were supposed to be wise, right? Constantly is always just driving them nuts because he doesn't do things according to religion according to the way that they saw that they needed to be done. The noble people and the wise people, he threw them all off. What an awesome God. So if God can bring a fortress out of a nursing infant, he can bring victory out of your guys' weakness. He can bring victory out of our weakness, guys. The things that you've had to go through in 2020, and maybe it's not that big a deal, maybe it is a big deal. I don't know where each one of you have been, but he can bring an awesome fortress out of that. There can be benefit that comes out of the hard times you've had to go through if you allow them to. It just depends on where your perspective is, right? If you want to have that worldly perspective and look at how much money you've lost or whatever's gone on or the house or the person or whatever it is, you could sit all day and dwell on that, and I guarantee it's going to get pretty depressing. It's going to get pretty sad. 
But if you focus on God is good, God has this, he's the one that let me have any of that in the first place, and I know he can restore it all. I saw he did it with Job. He can take whatever he wants from me because I know I can trust in him, that it'll be the most perfect thing that he could do for me. But can we? It's a hard thing to go to, and we might be called to do that in this next year, guys. We might be called to do that. There might be a lot more that's taken from us. However, God will never be taken from us, right? Rest in that. Have that perspective, that godly perspective that will be in him. Now, my dad said something the other day that I really enjoyed, and uh, it was a good thing. that I, I don't remember who he was talking to. But I overheard him, and he, he was talking about just the power that we have over the enemy. You know, when I, I have this down, God can bring, you know, that fortress and our weakness. Don't ever doubt him. He is the one who silences the enemy, just like it says here in verse 2 that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. He does that with the infants. He does that with the weakness. He silenced the enemy. My dad pointed out, he said, you know how many angels it took to get Satan into the bottomless pit? We're talking about Revelation. This is actually in Revelation 20, one through three. How many did it take? It took one angel to take the devil down and lock him up. Not a big host of angels, not like this big old thing. It was one angel that said, okay, it's time. Took him down there. Like he's defeated, guys. However, the thing is, there is no power in the enemy except that which is yielded to him through fear, doubt, and unbelief. Those will give him power in your life. And so if you guys feel like you're being taken down and it's just hopeless and everything, look at where your fear, your doubt, and your unbelief are, wherever they turn to. Get that right perspective. And so by God's strength, our perspective is changed to see the true conquer. And now in the New Testament, we have Jesus Christ. That's the true conqueror, isn't it? He's conquered all. We just sang about it. He's conquered sin. All right, the next one. Over in Psalms, verses three through five, God's work. Looking at God's work, focusing on God's work. So we focused on his name, on his power, his strength, and now let's look at his work. It says, when I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have ordained. And we're gonna have a video. If you wanna go ahead and get that video going, I want to give you guys this video. Now, I'm sorry special effects are super cheesy in this thing, but you'll be all right. It's like sitting in one of those little theaters when you go to a museum. But yeah, this will show. Have you ever thought about the enormity of God? The sheer magnitude of his power and size. It's a tough concept to wrap your mind around because God is spirit, so there's nothing physical about his stature. He can't be measured by meters or miles, time or space. However, it might be possible to catch a glimpse of what we can't see or touch by taking an imaginary journey through his biggest creation. This spacecraft will transport us to the edge of the observable universe an estimated distance of 270 billion trillion miles. We'll travel at the speed of light, more than 186,000 miles per second. At that velocity, we could make at least 600 complete orbits around the Earth in less time than it takes to eat a small bowl of popcorn. January 1st. Hurtling through space, we reach the moon in less than 1.3 seconds. 
Then four and a half minutes later, we race past Mars. We continue on toward the gas giant planets, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. And just five hours, 20 minutes after leaving Earth, we reach the dwarf planet, Pluto. Now we'll adjust our flight path for an angle nearly perpendicular to the planetary orbits. Behind us, the boundaries of our cosmic neighborhood quickly vanish. We have entered interstellar space, the great void between our solar system and the next nearest star. A year passes, then two, three, four years. Finally, on April 19th of the fifth year since our departure from Earth, we are momentarily blinded by the light of the Alpha Centauri system. Three stars bound together by gravity. They are the closest stars to our sun. We have traveled nearly 26 trillion miles, but we're just getting started. 10 light years from Earth, two dozen neighboring stars glimmer in our wake. One of them, Tau Ceti, resembles our sun. 100 light years, clouds of gas and dust in the Orion arm of the Milky Way surround us. 1,000 light years, the elegant spiral shape of our galaxy is clearly visible. Earth is located here. The Milky Way is part of a community of at least 40 galaxies drawn together by gravity to form what is known as the local group. For the rest of our journey, each point of light we see is no longer an individual star, but an entire galaxy filled with billions of stars. Our local group is adjacent to the Virgo Cluster, a massive concentration of an estimated 2,000 spiral, elliptical, and dwarf galaxies that emit searing clouds of plasma and dust. This spectacular creation is the heart of a chain of cosmic islands, once shaped by the gravitational pull of 40,000 different galaxies. Collectively, they form the Virgo Supercluster, one of the largest structures known to science. But as our view widens, this chain is quickly lost among countless formations of similar composition and size. For Virgo is a drop in a cosmic bucket that may contain as many as 10 million superclusters, each a slender thread in the large-scale construction of the observable universe. Our journey has transported us 45 billion light years from Earth to the outer limits of scientific discovery. A sprawling web of filaments spun from perhaps two trillion galaxies. 
and stars more numerous than grains of sand on all the deserts and beaches of the world. So how big is God? He's big enough to create a universe with dimensions so vast they are beyond our comprehension. Yet in the words of the prophet Isaiah, he could measure it all with the fingers of his hand. The magnitude of God's power and size can never be reckoned by mathematics or physics, for he is omnipotent, eternal, and infinite. But if we explore the cosmos with open minds, not limited to theories of blind chance and the random collision of atoms, we discover a magnificent tapestry crafted by a consummate artist who once spoke all of this into existence from absolutely nothing, then reveal glimpses of his identity through the grandeur and design of everything he had made. And for anyone who has ever looked into a clear night sky, evidence of God's stature and character shines brighter than the light from a thousand stars. cool huh it's a you know you have those other ones that you can see that have like the size of the earth with the stars and they kind of go out from there but there isn't the distance that's there and just showing the distance on this is unbelievable I mean and then the galaxies I mean two trillion you know it, it's unbelievable what's what's out there I mean how big it is and yet he refers to in one part he says that Isaiah talks about he can stretch it or measure it with his fingers if you guys look over in Isaiah 40 12 is where that verse is it's a really neat verse, and the ones after it too. In uh, Isaiah 40, 12, it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, and that's where it's talking about the fingers, the span was between your pinky and your thumb, and calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and scales and the hills in a balance, who has directed the Spirit of the Lord, who has counsel, or his counselor has taught him? With whom did he take counsel, and who instructed him? And taught him in the path of justice, who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are a drop in the bucket, or counted as small in the dust of the scales. Look, he lifts up the isles as they were a very little thing. And just goes on to describe how big God is. So much bigger than man. Right? Of course, we, we know that, but then you start putting it into size, and you look at the galaxy and how far everything is, and it's unbelievable on what he's made, and that we get to observe that. Now, all of this, this observation that they take is, I mean, it's unbelievable that we as men can even go out there and, and discover this, and maybe some of it, you know, we, there's a lot more to discover and to understand. I think God set up the universe for us to be able to do that. He delights in us in going and looking for his work and seeing how it's made. It's an awesome thing that he does in just that relationship. So, uh, if you guys are listening to on, online, uh, that YouTube um, video is Big Universe, Bigger God, since you probably didn't get to see it on, on, on here. So if you want to go look it up yourselves. But the work of your fingers. If you guys go back over to Psalms 8, 
It says there that, you know, when I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers. Now, when I think work and I think construction, usually it's, it's a lot of hard work, especially when I'm digging. Like, digging is one of the worst, right? Or we're using a sledgehammer. And you're using your whole body. It's not like it's a finger-working job, okay? That's more like sorting through things. That's like counting money. That's a finger job. It's very different, and you think of the universe like, wow, that construction of that universe had a, had a, a lot of effort gone into there. But yet, David talks about it, and he says it was the work of your fingers. Like, it was so small for God to do. And Isaiah saying that it, you know, the whole universe that we just saw, these trillions of, of, un, of uh, galaxies, and he can he measure it between his pinky and his thumb. If God had a size. I mean, of course, he's spirit. But that's just, that's, that's God, if we need to look at it. And that's the perspective we need to gain from him. So having that kind of perspective... What does that do for us when we come across a small problem? Let's say we don't get the check for the month or something that we are depending on. And now it's like our life is over. You know, maybe something's falling apart with somebody in our, in our life. They, they're going down a bad road. You know, is it, is it way too big of a problem for the Lord? It isn't. It's not at all. It becomes a bit too big of a problem for the Lord when we don't rely on him and we walk away from him. And yeah, he's not involved. We don't want him involved. And it becomes a dangerous place to go. So remember who he is and just how big he is. Our God is beyond big. Size can't describe him like they had said. He's beyond all that's created. And so we can trust him. In verse 4, it goes on and it says, What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you visit him. This is such a key verse that David comes to because David is not saying here that, hey, man is trash, right? He's not saying that we're trash to God and just wondering why in the world God would even care about us. There's some people that have a theology on God that God was, yeah, absolutely the creator of the universe. He did it all. But then he just walked away from it, and he kind of lets us do our own thing and, and figure out stuff for ourselves. It's kind of it's like a watchmaker, right? A, wa- a watchmaker does unbelievable design in a watch and gets it all working, and it works fine, and then they walk away from it and go on to build the next one. And that's not who our God is. Our God is a very personal God. And the enemy would love for us to think that he's not personal with us. Because if we don't believe in a personal God, then that starts to mean that we can kind of do what we want to do. And our focus is on self, and it's on a worldly perspective, isn't it? The enemy loves that we don't think that he's personal. But David here, he's not questioning whether God's personal or not. He's saying, I can't believe that. When I think about it, and when I go through, you know, he didn't have nice videos like this. He would have appreciated the technology, let me tell you. But when you go through stuff like that, and you stop to consider his works, and then you think, why is man even significant to you? You created some of those beautiful things beyond this earth, and yet man is significant to you. It's not that we were created because he needed us, right? We are created because he wanted us. I mean, how many of you have kids and you're like, did we wanted them? <laughs> Just kidding, girls. My girls are like, yeah. <laughs> It's, he wanted us, guys. And we would look at the same with God. Like, well, you wanted me? I'm a disaster. I fail you. I turn against you sometimes. I return to sin when I know it's so much better to be with you. Yeah, he wanted us. And so when David stops here, and David was going through the th- same stuff, guys. David was a sinner as well. You guys can go through and read. He, I don't think he committed what his, his horrible atrocities yet, but you know he was, he was a man. He was a sinner. And so he has that question, what is man that you consider him, that you're mindful of him? Not only that, it says the son of man that you would visit him. 
In the Old Testament, God is always visiting man to direct man in his past to set up for the perfect plan of salvation to come into the world. What is it with man that God wants to save them? That's where David's at. He can't believe it. So it's more in awe that he cannot believe that God is mindful of man. That he would be, and God wants to be, and he is mindful of man. That he comes and visits the thing is, is like now we get the Holy Spirit in us. Remember when Jesus said that, hey, I need to go away for a little bit so the other one can come and make his home with you? That he can lead you into all truth, right? Like we get to have God with us, guys. The one that created all. Our covenant God gets to be with us. What an awesome, powerful thing. So now we have that and we know that. I know, we know that. We know God's with us. But we immediately push him out and we forget about that when we have a, a, a problem that's right in our face. Because if we're not feeling God or we're not seeing God, then we push him out because of what we're seeing and what we're feeling at that moment. Don't be distracted by that stuff. You have to remember, that's why it's so important, guys, to rest in the scriptures, to be in the scriptures, because it's a constant reminder of who God is to us. So we can go through those times and be like, no, my kids bought me a shirt for Christmas. It says, not today, Satan. I love it. I was going to wear it this morning, but it's dirty. But it's exactly that thought. Not today, Satan. You're not going to dupe me this time. You're not going to dupe me because I know exactly what this truth is saying, that he is mindful of me and that he visits, that he knows the hairs on my head. Why in the world would God want to count the hairs on your head? Right? Like it's foolish. I, mean, I don't want to know how many hairs you guys have on your head. <laughs> Maybe some of you guys are counting. You're like, man, another one's out. <laughs> This is to so show how significant that even the littlest thing on you that he knows, he is so personal, so personal. Verse five, it says, for you have made him, and now this is when it's gonna start stepping into a whole other place. He says, for you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Not only does he know about us, he's mindful of us, he visits us, not only that stuff, guys, but yet he's crowned us with glory and honor undeserving mankind has been crowned with glory and honor. Now, you guys really will understand this when you have somebody that's significant to you, and mostly children, when you want to do something good for them and they don't deserve it. Christmas is that great time of year, right? When they are punks and do stuff, and yet you are like so excited to give them stuff and to make them happy and to see the joy, right? It doesn't make sense. But that's the way it is with us, and God has given us. It's like the best Christmas morning ever, guys. We have glory and honor from God. Don't be robbed from the enemy and saying you're worthless. Look what you did to him. He wants nothing to do with you. It's not true. We repent and come back to him, and it's like, oh, it's so good. Now, we're going to go into his plan. So when you meditate on these things about your perspective will change as you look at the change to glorify him and not self. His work must be considered. Always consider the work of God. So important. Next one. It's verses six through eight, it's God's plan. So when we look at God's plan, in verse six it says, you have made him, speaking of man, to have dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep, oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, the paths through the paths of the seas. So not only, okay, we get on, we've got this glory and this honor, and now God is going to give us dominion. You guys go back to Genesis 1. It talks about man getting this dominion over all the animals of the earth. 
It's something that we are responsible for. Now, we messed up with sin and brought sin into the world, and so there was death and corruption that started happening, you know, and, and the animals changed in, in how they acted, but that did not take away from our dominion. We still have responsibility over this earth. And it blows my mind that God would create something so beautiful and so perfect, and yet he would hand it over to man and say, here, I want you to be over this. I want you to be over this. This beautiful creation, I want you to be over. And so there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, right? And we are. We are supposed to be careful in what we did. The plan to take care of what he's made with his hands is a very, very heavy weight on us. And we're going to have dominion over it that we can honor him. Now, with this domain comes great responsibility. We have the authority of all living creatures, which I said it was in Genesis 1. You guys want to go back through? Now, this dominion, we're called to wisely, and this is key, wisely manage the creatures and resources on this earth. And what this does, this will give glory to God, and this will bless us, right? If we take care of this earth. Now, the world says, yeah, we need to take care of it, and they come up with all these different things on what's happening on earth. They don't know all of it, and I would disagree with some of it, but it still is there. We know that we need to take care of this place. Like we've seen in the past, you know, the buffaloes used to be everywhere, right? Like they're just out on the plains. See them everywhere. Well, what happened? Man came through, saw something that he wanted, and he completely destroyed it. It was a sad deal. I mean, that's just a little example. Man can do that, absolutely. That's irresponsible. That's not wise. However, God has given us the animals to be able to use. I'm 100% for using animals, right? Not overusing them. I think it's a good thing, and God even shows us from Genesis. If you guys want to go back there, he's the first one to even kill an animal for a man because he, he puts the clothes on them, right? Man tries to do a temporary fix, and God comes along and makes it better, and he, he has to have blood spilled. Whole other deal. We could go through and then whole another teaching, but they are for us to have dominion over, that we are over them. They, they're under our control, and we get to use the resources that he's given us, but it needs to be done with wisdom, Right? Now, another point is that I want to make is that man is not just a part of the ecosystem. That's not what it's saying here. Man is not just another little link that everything can go around in the right circle, right? That's not who man is. Man's out of that. Yes, there is an ecosystem, but man is outside of that and helps that, and he has a dominion over it. He's, not, he's been put in charge of it. And to believe that thought that we're just part of an ecosystem is to deny the ordination of man by God to have dominion. So it's, a very, it's an important thing. See, the enemy would want us just to be a part of it, wouldn't he? So that we're just like, oh, okay, we're just a part of this. We're not significant. You know, all the other things are just as significant as us. No, go back to Genesis again. It is very clear that we are very different. We're set aside. We have that dominion over it, the responsibility, right? All right. We've seen that people have tried to fulfill their fleshly desires, and they've done horrible things. They've destroyed the ecosystems. That's not at all what I'm saying. Go out and use it as much as you want. You guys know that. Be responsible, and that's what he's asked us to do. And he goes through in detail, which I find is very interesting. David goes through in detail. He starts out with the sheep and the oxen, which he was very familiar, wasn't he? He was a, he was a shepherd. And so he knew how to deal with the sheep, and he goes into that, and he says, we have dominion over the sheep and the oxen. Well, that's, that's an easy thing. I mean, there's some, it's like for us, yeah, you're supposed to be over cows and sheep. They're easy to get along with. But then he goes on and says, even the beasts of the field, even the beasts of the field, and their beast back then was like wolves and lions and bears, right? And have dominion over them. And then it goes on and it says the birds of the air, the most free thing he talks about, we got to be over, the birds of the air. And then it goes on, the fish of the sea, you got to use that. And then it's interesting, he says that with these fish of the sea, they go through the paths of the seas. And I don't know if you guys know much about the history, but 
In this scripture, this verse 8, this is actually a, a great discovery made by a man. can't remember the time. I can't remember his name. You guys can look it up. You can Google it. But he was sick in bed, thought he was going to die, and he had somebody reading scripture to him as he was thinking he was going to go. And they came to the scripture, and he said, hold on, stop. He said, the paths through the sea, or the paths through the paths of the seas. And after he got well, he decided to go out and see if there were these paths of the sea, and he's the one that discovered all of the currents in the ocean. I say that just because the scriptures knew about this before man ever discovered it. And there's so many scriptures that you guys can go through, and the scriptures have already pointed to a truth, a scientific truth, that man has discovered later on. I'm not saying that the Bible is a scientific book, but it definitely goes along with what man discovers in science because, of course, God created it. It's already there. One of those cool parts of scripture that we can see, wow, this is truly God's word. It is. So, looking at what God has done in his plan that we get to be a part of and we get to have this dominion, it's such an awesome thing that he would create all this and have us to be a part of that. And our perspective is, okay, what's my plan then? What's my plan? My plan is to do what the will of God is, right? Anytime I step outside of that will of God, I'm going to end up facing hard times. And I mean hard times where I feel like I can't ever get out of them. Like I'm hopeless. I enter into these emotions that it's like it's all going to be done. There is nothing that gets better. My peace has left me. But when we know God's plan and we walk after his ways and we take over what he's given us, then we have this godly perspective and it's like, okay, this is all going to work out. I'm going to invite the worship team up and we'll close with this last little verse here. So as you guys go through, remember on this part of scripture, when things get hard, especially if it gets harder within this next year or it calms down a little bit, it doesn't matter. This is one of those places that you guys can go. Psalms 8, remember that. By following David's example of exploring God's name, looking to his strength, praising him by his works, and following his plan, we will have the right mind or the right perspective to deal with whatever comes our way. With his godly perspective will be his children and that he's called us to be no matter what happens. Do not let the enemy come in and rob you guys of that. And then he closes again and he says, O Lord, right? Yahweh, he goes back to the the covenant God. God has made a covenant with us, guys, through Jesus Christ. Like he's made, and he doesn't break his covenant. He does not break it. Our Lord, our God, our master, the one I want to follow after, my boss, how excellent is your name in all the earth? Truly, is God's name excellent even in your own life? Great question. Do I think Jesus's name is excellent in my own life? And it should be evident if it is, right? Lord, we love you and we thank you so much for your scripture and just the things that you teach us through your word. I pray as we go out, and especially this being the last Sunday of the year, Lord, that we would just reflect back on the good things you've done, the things you've taken us through, the things you've shown us your strength, the times that you've appeared when we didn't deserve it and did awesome work in our life, Lord. I pray for people that are hurting in this congregation, people that have lost significant others. Lord, that have gone through horrible times in their life. I mean, some of the worst times in their life. Lord, I pray that they would look back as well and see that you had them the whole time and they take comfort in that. Lord, that you would change our perspective, that we would be focused on you. Lord, that we would be focused on who you are in your name. Lord, your strength, your works, and we just praise you through that, Lord. And also just the plan you have for us. What an awesome thing that we get to be a part of what you've designed and you've created and that you give us that responsibility. Lord, we want to be that weakness that you make strong. Lord, as we cry out as little infants, 
that you do powerful works through us, Lord, that you would get so much glory and people would not be able to turn away from you, that they would know you are the God of all the earth and above the heavens. And we just want to praise you with this last song, Lord, and we love you so much. Amen. Mm-hmm.